This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hey everybody, the Hockey News Podcast is here. It's Matt Larkin with Ryan Kennedy and Ken Campbell and... I can barely look you guys in the eyes right now, personally. I'm so ashamed of my playoff picks so far. Well, you should be. Uh, I may go 0-8. Yeah, you might, and that would be re- <laughs> that would be hilarious. That's almost as impressive as going 8-for-8. Eight eight. It yeah. is. At this yeah. point, I may as well root for that. Sure. Like, at least it'll be memorable. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think that, I think, you know, you could wear that as a badge of honor for sure. Yeah. For sure. Jeez. Yeah. Man, it's brutal. <laughs> Come on. So we're going to get to some of the playoff series, but before that, uh, another piece of non-playoff news involving a non-playoff team that happened late last week, something that was rumored, and I think all of us pretty much saw this coming months in advance. Worst kept secret in hockey. Of course. Yeah. Steve Eiserman, now GM of the Detroit Red Wings, uh, and it's going to be interesting. Does he have the ability? Do we think he's going to save this franchise? Is it too simplistic just to assume he was great as a player in Detroit? He's going to save the team. Uh, And what's going to happen to Ken Holland? So let's start with Steve Eiserman. The track record in Tampa was excellent. Uh, Didn't include a Stanley Cup, but still a very consistently successful team. So do do you guys believe that that's going to translate into success in Detroit? I think he'll be successful, but I think that it's not going to be the slam dunk necessarily that people believe. Um, The one thing he'll have the ability to do is come in as the new guy and clear out, hopefully, some of the horrid contracts Detroit has, i.e. Justin Abdelkader, Darren Helm, uh, things like that. So if he can move those in the next year or two, then that's a huge win for the Red Wings because somehow they're one of the most capped out teams in the NHL and they're not even a playoff team. Um, the other thing I would point out, you know, obviously Eiserman had a lot of success in Tampa Bay, um, but that was with Al Murray as his director of amateur scouting. Al Murray made a lot of savvy picks with the Lightning. Al Murray was also the director of amateur scouting for the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, he was responsible for Andre Kopitar, Jonathan Quick, Alec Martinez, Dustin Brown, also Wayne Simmons and Mike Camilleri, who didn't win cups with LA, but you know were traded and you know they were good players and you know they moved on from there. Um, so for me, it's going to be interesting to see what the Red Wings can do drafting and developing from here on out. They've been pretty good in the past couple of years. Um, they have a lot of picks this season, but I'm actually looking ahead more to 2020 because Eisenman's just coming in. So he's meeting everybody, figuring out what their tendencies are. He's obviously going to meet with the scouting staff. But if you look at Tampa Bay when Eisenman came in, that first draft was kind of a washout. Eventually the top players were traded away, and it wasn't until the year after when Eisenman was there full time that it was really like his draft. Now 2020... Right now, Detroit has five picks in the first three rounds. So that's potentially five in the top 100. That is where I think he can really establish what this team is going to be about moving forward. Right. Not including what he might be able to deal this year for, for next year as well, right? Right. Um, I, I think I think Steve Eiserman is going to do a, a very, very good job in Detroit. I think they are going to return to contender status. I think all you can expect now in the NHL is to be good enough to be in that group that can contend for a Stanley Cup win maybe one or two along the way, and then rebuild it. And, and I think he can bring them back to that. Um, you know, I mean, but I will say this, and, and I mean, 
when he came in in 1983, he came in and I don't think anybody thought he was going to be the savior of the franchise that he ended up being. But like it was when he was a player, this is not going to happen overnight. This is not going to happen overnight. He won, He came in as an 18-year-old and he won his first Stanley Cup when he was 32. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so, And I'm not suggesting it's going to take him 14 years to build a Stanley Cup contender now, but it's going to take a while. And you talked about those contracts. I don't know how Steve Eiserman can snap his fingers and make those go away. They've tried to give those guys away, and nobody wants them around the league. So it's there's going to be pain, as Mike Babcock said when he came to Toronto. There's going to be pain for a while, but they're in a pretty decent spot. They've they've actually got some good young players. They've got all the picks you've talked about. I think it's been set up fairly well that somebody can come in and now sort of bring this fresh approach and and start moving things forward. And I th- I think Steve Eiserman's going to do an excellent job. Right, and, and the thing with the analogy too of him as a young player, the difference is. This is him coming to Detroit when he was 25 because he's been in this league as a GM yeah, of an NHL yeah, team. Yeah. And I think the one thing a lot of people remember most about Eiserman's tenure in Tampa Bay is how good he was at managing the cap. Right? right. He managed yeah. to get out. He, he shipped Val, Valtteri Filppula's contract right. out, which is almost the exact same deal as Franz Nielsen's. Pretty similar type of player as well. Uh, and he managed to strike those bridge deals with Andre Vasilevsky, with Nikita Kucherov, all that happened under Eiserman. Uh, so he's proven someone who, when it looks like he's backed into a corner financially, yeah. he's yeah. able to wiggle out. So if anyone can handle the mess that is Detroit's cap, I think Eiserman might be the best candidate candidate to do it. And I, I agree. I'm confident in Eiserman, and it's no disrespect to Ken Holland, but I just remember something that Holland told me, uh, maybe it was a year ago, um, and he just talked about having never really gotten to do the rebuild thing before because the team, it was, I think what I asked him was, uh, was the 25 year, 25 year playoff streak a curse in the end because you just don't want to break that streak. You keep limping along, yeah, yeah, signing yeah. your, re-signing your Darren Helm, signing your Franz yeah. Nielsen's, and he'd never done it before. Whereas Eisenman, I think, doesn't have the burden of being right. part of a winner for so, so long that you don't know anything else. And he can come in with more of a blank slate. And he's, all, he's also got a honeymoon period. He's get, he's got oh, yeah. he's got a couple of years to kind of figure out where he wants to go. And, I mean, he's built up that, that credibility in Detroit. And, you know, it's funny. I mean, uh, Pittsburgh, somebody was saying that Pittsburgh just, when they clinched their playoff spot, it's 13 years in a row that they've been in the playoffs. And the, the next best is five. Well, Detroit did two Pittsburghs. They did 25 years in a row, right? And, and I mean, you know, you can say what you want about limping into the playoffs and stuff, but a year like this year proves that, yeah, you do want to get that playoff yeah. spot. You do want to... You limp even, in as a wounded even animal, if you, Even right? if you limp yeah. in in the last spot, you know, you've got a ticket to the dance. And, and you know, this year, if, if anything else, proves that, yeah, you do... It really is important to, to you know, to, to fight tooth and nail right down to the last game for that playoff spot, even though you might get, not get it. And then you end up in... You know, you end up in the nether world where you're yeah. not picking high and you don't, you're not in the playoffs either. But it's worth, you know, I mean, I mean, it's worth going for, right? Right. And Ken, I know right before we did this podcast, you were actually talking to Mr. Ken Holland, your your old pal. <laughs> uh, and I'm curious if you got any inkling from your conversation of whether he's going to be a, a Red Wing in his new role for a long time, or should we start speculating about Seattle right away? Well, uh. I, I would say no to both of those. I, I, I because I, I don't think anybody knows. He's going into the great unknown here, right? Um, and I think the next year is going to be crucial. I think a couple of things are going to be crucial. Number one, how much Steve Eiserman keeps him as a part of 
the management group. I mean, Steve Eiserman is going to be making the decisions and that's as it should be. He is the decision maker. He is the guy that makes the decisions. He's the guy that runs the hockey department. But if he keeps Kenny engaged, Kenny Holland engaged and, and, and feeling like he's part of the group, maybe that's enough. I think the next year is going to tell the tale. I think that if he is still a Detroit Red Wing this time next year or after the summer of 2020, uh, then he's probably going to be a Red Wing for life. But, I mean, it depends on how many how many um, openings come up, uh, how antsy he gets, how much golf he feels like playing, how much time he feels like going to this house in Vernon, B.C. that he never gets to go to, you know, and lives life and see, sees how that is. Uh, you know, is that going to be enough? Mm-hmm. And I think that I don't think anybody can answer that. I don't even think Ken Holland can answer that right now. Right. And what could sort of necessitate excuse me, a decision on Holland might be the fact that Seattle's going to have to hire a GM sooner rather than later, right? If they they are, yeah. Ahead. yeah. So yeah. that yeah. could put the pressure on when they so start in, looking. So in three months, he might, this all might change. And, right. and I, I think it's it's just a matter of, of, of like, he's going to be on everybody's list, right? Like, if every GM job that comes up now, people are going to be saying, for the next probably six to 12 months, people are going to yeah. be saying, Okay, well, Ken Holland's got to be on the short list here, He's right? the Joel Quinville of GM. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, in the next year, does he feel like he's fulfilled enough to be able to just stay with stay with the Red Wings and be a Red Wing for life? Or does he want to go and run his own program again? And the fun thing is, uh, you know, potentially with Seattle, is it's something new. I mean, Ken Holland has done it all, really, at this point. I mean, he... Mm-hmm. Uh, he resurrected a franchise in Detroit. He won multiple cups. You know, he had that playoff win streak. You know, he's kind of seen it all. To go to Seattle and to build a new team from scratch at this point in his career, it's kind of the only thing he hasn't been able to do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, maybe maybe that would be the fun challenge. But people tend to stick. Ar- and in case you haven't noticed, people tend to stick around in Detroit. Yeah. You know, I mean, Eiserman is a player. Nick Lindstrom is a player. Kenny Holland for 22 years as a general manager. I mean, it's... it's Shout out Alex Del Vecchio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's not It's not a, an easy place to just pick up and leave. I think there's, you know, once you get into that culture and, you know, you start being part of that organization, I think you it's a place where you want to stay if you mm. can. So... Well, it's time to tee up a couple of Game 7s. The first one, this is a recording. Toronto Maple Leafs will play in Game 7 in Boston <laughs> again. And I sound robotic doing my little robot robot voice talking about it because, honestly, I'm bored of it. And I don't want that to be misconstrued as, as wanting the Leafs to have won Game 6. I would have taken a Bruins sweep or the Leafs losing to a different team, whatever it is. I'm just tired of this Leafs in Boston. Are they going to choke Game 7? I'm bored of this story. This, why? This is, the this is great. This is but, what makes the playoffs compelling. This is why the NHL has the playoff format that they have. This is exactly why. So that every year you have series like this where it's like, man, we're back to Game 7 with these two teams. Same place. Man, oh, man. Uh, and let's I'm see what happens. Tired of it, man. Well, no, but it's up to the Leafs to flip the script this time. It's not on It's not on the NHL. It's not on anybody. It's up to the Leafs to flip this script and make, make things different this time around, right. and in that's, my opinion. That's the question. Do the Leafs finally have it in them to make a different result this time? Or are you expecting the same old, same old? You know what? I've been wrong about like every game in this series. <laughs> so I think Boston's going to win, and therefore Toronto's probably going to win. This <laughs> This really seems like a counterpunch series where 
We've seen a lot of different styles. We've seen different looks from the Bruins. We've seen different results from the Leafs. And it's really going to come down to who makes the better adjustments for Game 7. It, it doesn't really seem like home ice means anything in this series, so you can't give the edge to Boston necessarily there. They are more experienced, and you know the Leafs do have ghosts, whether they admit it or not. But it just seems like logic gets thrown at the window with this series where, I mean, if Toronto comes out and plays super fast and gets a couple of power plays, then the game might be over pretty quickly. But if the Bruins continue to play well-disciplined, smart hockey, if they lean on that top line and have success, particularly Brad Marchand, who's had a fantastic series, Mm -hmm. then the Bruins are kind of the obvious choice. Mm -hmm. Kill a penalty. Kill a penalty. Yeah. Just kill a penalty. Just kill a penalty. Any of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Any of them. Yeah, Yeah, like particularly ones that are at the beginning of the game and are crucial. Yeah. Like, just kill one. Just, Just for... Poops and giggles, and just, that you, you know, know just kill one. Boston's going to be trying for that, right? If, you know, I think the Bruins' strategy is going to be try and replicate Game Two, get the Leafs frustrated, try and get a power play early in the game, ride the crowd, turn it into the zoo-like atmosphere. And That's what the Leafs have to watch out for. That's what happened to them in the third period in 2013 and, and 2018. It gets away quick. Yeah. It gets away quick. Uh, if you're if you're a Leafs fan and you're trying to grasp onto something different about the series, that's what it is. This series has been very different. The Leafs. Took a one nothing lead in the series. They've led the series three times. Three times the possession numbers actually slightly favor the Leafs. It's like fifty point oh eight to forty nine point nine two at five on five. So all the different little signifiers are different this year. So if you're looking for some evidence that it's going to turn out differently, it actually is there on paper. But the funny thing is, it still feels like this comes down to intangibles. And Freddie <laughs> yeah. Anderson has been fantastic for the yeah. Leafs yeah. all series long, and you sort of feel for him though because. All it takes is one game where if the confidence disappears, then that's all people are going to remember. And I, to me, it's a, it's going to be a mental thing for the Leafs. And we saw it, in my opinion, in Game 6. That second period, they suddenly looked like the same team in Game 7 last year. They're, they lost their legs. They were doubling back with the puck. They were dumping it like hot potato style. They lost their confidence. And if that disappears again, I think we're going to see Boston win. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And and I think, I think too, it's, um, you know, I mean, other than Game 2, the physical Boston's physicality hasn't been a factor in this series, in my opinion, other than Game Two. No, and in fact, I, and in fact, I would argue that there are short spurts in this series where the Leafs have actually been the more physical team. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't know that that's going to be a bit as big a factor as it's been in the past. I just think, you know, and hey, man, we're all going with our gut here, right? Like it's yeah. like, you know, nobody knows, but. I just get the sense that if if the Leafs were going to win this series and they could have, uh, they had to close it out on home ice in Game Six, and they and they just they didn't do it. And I think that's going to be that's going to be the fatal the fatal blow. Yeah, and, and I would say that you know Boston probably should not follow the Game Two template. I felt that was the outlier in the series because yeah. if they come out guns a blazing like running everybody. I mean, it depends on how the officiating is, but right. if they take penalties early and give the Leafs some daylight there, that could spell trouble because, you know, Nazem Kadri's not in the ice for the Leafs, so who are you going to mess with? You know, like nobody's <laughs> yeah. going to take yeah. those dumb penalties right now on the Leafs side. So I think the Bruins have to be careful because they've had some really good success late in this series. I mean, even when they lost that last game, they looked really good. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just a coin flip game. So it's going to be interesting to see how they come out. 
It's funny. In this case, my my head actually says the Leafs, but my heart says Boston in terms of mm. picking the result because my head says the actual on-ice results and the trends of the series point more toward Toronto. They've, they've won two games in Boston, better yep. possession team. They've been faster, and they've led the series three times, et cetera, et cetera. But – it's just that intangible. I can't shake that feeling that it's just gonna it's gonna happen again. And I think it's meta. The fact the Leafs know that everyone is thinking that about them. So if something goes wrong in those first five minutes, they're gonna yeah, hear the yeah, Boston yeah. crowd and that mm, that yeah. energy is gonna start just turning on them. So it's just a matter of can they survive? Mm-hmm. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the Golden Knights and San Jose Sharks? It, it, it it's been an interesting series because Vegas was pretty dominant early in this series, and it looked like San Jose might have been bowing out and. Five games or so, they come back, two wins in a row, overtime, Thomas Herdle pulls a Mark Messier, calls his shot, sort of. So are the Sharks really back in this series, or is this a case of just Martin Jones finally waking up and standing on his head and sort of buying his team an extra game? Well, it's both. It's both. They're back in this series because Martin Jones woke up and and, yeah. and has, like, they outshot Vegas outshot San Jose by 30 shots yesterday. Uh, That's a whole game's worth a, of shots yeah. that they outshot them by. Yeah. 59 to 29. Yeah. I mean, Grandpa's got to lift up his glasses here for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. In games one to four, uh, Martin Jones' save percentage was 843. In games five and six, it was 966. Wow. wow. So I think we know what the key to tomorrow is. Yeah. I mean, and the, I picked Vegas to win the series. And much of the reason why I picked Vegas to win the series was because I thought they had the edge in goaltending. Uh, that's at very best even right now. I mean... Mark Andre Fleury only let two in on twenty nine yesterday, so he was he was pretty good too. Yeah. Well, um, the winner the winner was a the winner was not good. Yeah, the winner was, not, was good. not a good goal. Yeah. It was not a good goal. You're right. You're right. But but um, yeah, I think I think that I mean if Martin Jones plays like he did in Game Six, I think if you're Vegas, you just like well, hey, <laughs> you tip your cap. yeah exactly. Good for you. You know, good for you. Yeah, I, I still think that Vegas has the the legs advantage. In this, and I think that, you know, coming off a double overtime game and, you know, Martin Jones playing out of his mind, but how long can he sustain that? Can he do it for one more game against this Vegas team that has a lot of good depth and has some really high-end guys now? You look at what Mark Stone has done this series, Max Pacioretty. I I still think Vegas is going to take it in seven. Yeah. 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 I don't think, like wrap self in blanket, curl up in fetal position, and absorb many, many, many shots is a great strategy, even though San Jose won that way. <laughs> yeah, it's going to yeah, come yeah. back to get them. I yeah, think. exactly. They can't skate with Vegas. No, they, they cannot can't. They skate can't. with yeah. Vegas. And, I and think they, that's still, be they still give up like those big-time, like, holy cow, how did he make that save chance? You know, yeah. they give up a lot of those. And, I, I, I mean, with that defense, it's, it's amazing that they do. But, um, yeah, and again, this is, this is like – I mean, I know people, like, it's a cottage industry for people to crap on the NHL's playoff system, but I love it for this reason. Here you got two teams that have a past. They hate each other. There's some animosity. Oh, yeah. Everything, though, all those people love them. And it's going to Game 7 again. Yeah. It's great. It's fantastic. Fair. So we're sitting at this table. I'm staring at copies of our playoff preview magazine, and I kind of just want to turn away because I know what's in there, inside those pages. A Stanley Cup consensus staff prediction of the Winnipeg Jets defeating the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup final. The prophecy is wrong. Yes. Extremely wrong. Comically wrong. Cartoonishly wrong. So let's just sort of sort through a a little autopsy for Tampa and Winnipeg. We'll start with Tampa, the team that got swept after 62 wins. Is this a case of just 
One, it's funny. I'll give you an example, okay? I was talking to Harry Sinden, the great Harry Sinden last week. And he said about that series, one bad weekend can sometimes just end a season. And was he paralleling it to 71 when the Canadians upset the Bruins? Uh, he in, didn't mention oh, what he was okay. paralleling to, but I was talking okay. to him about something else, and then we were just okay. having some small talk afterward. And he mentioned that, and I thought, mm, that's a good point. And is that what happened with Tampa? Was it just they got caught on a bad, small sample size, wrong yeah. time of year? Or yeah. is there something more profound that happened to this team? Well, like John Cooper said, for four games in April, you know, Columbus was better than we were. And uh, I think... You got to wonder about how you approach this now if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like last yeah. year, they let their foot off the gas. They almost lost the division, but then they ended up making it to the conference final. So a decent season, but not a Stanley Cup. And then this year, I mean, anytime I talked to anybody associated with Tampa Bay, it was like, no way. We are not sitting guys at the end of the year. Uh-huh. We are keeping our foot on the gas. We're not making the same mistake we made last year. Blah, blah, blah. Because really, there's no... There's nothing statistically to suggest that teams that are hot win Stanley Cups, teams that aren't. Like, it's it's all over the map. So you don't know, right? Mm. And uh, so they, they, they went with the approach, you know, take no prisoners, win every game we can, break all the records we can, get all the 120-point scores we can. And, and what did it get them? A big, fat goober. Yeah, and the funny thing was, like, I remember talking to Victor Hedman near the end of the season, and he was saying, you know, we have a chip on our shoulder because of the way last year ended, not scoring a goal against Washington in game six or seven, you know, blowing that series. So they they came into the postseason thinking we have something to prove and then fell flat. And obviously not all their guys were healthy, but I mean, they still had an incredible roster. I kind of feel like at this point, if Tampa Bay next year goes on another great run where they win 55 plus games, you know, I don't think they'll hit 62 again, but just before they play whoever they play, they got to do some kind of longest yard-esque scrimmage against, (laughs) I don't know who, but you just get some guys and be like, let's just have a meaningful, nasty scrimmage so we get back into it. Because you look at that Columbus team, big, heavy, and talented, but also they had to claw their way into the playoffs. They had to play right to the end of the season. Tampa Bay, like, when was the last time they had an actual meaningful game? It would have been like three, four months ago. Yeah. And when we were all down there against Washington, which should have been one of those games. That was a flex your muscles game, and they didn't. Yeah. And, and they, they didn't, didn't show I up. I went back yeah. to the, remember what Stanko yeah. said when I asked him after the game. He said, this game didn't mean anything to us. And yeah. I just kept, and I know I've said it over and over, but, you know, and a disclaimer, we're not saying we saw this coming, but now no. that it's happened, we may as well try to analyze it. And yeah. that always stuck in my head. This game didn't mean anything to us, and that's not a knock on Stamkos. It's just a reflection of, he was right. It really didn't mean anything. Uh, and it should have. It should, it should have. have. It should have. But it's hard, it to train, have. it's hard to train your brain, right? And yeah. that's why I know people can still say, hey, President's Trophy winners are still the strongest odds for a Stanley Cup. They are. But it is yeah. it is fascinating. You'd think that, it, that they would win more often than they do. Yep. And I, I yep. think there is sort of a syndrome that, that has sort of arrived, in, especially the last decade, for the teams that get way ahead. Happened yeah. to Washington as well. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Washington, I think that the biggest problem with this Tampa team in hindsight was – we know what the blueprint was to beat Tampa. We saw it last year. It was mm-hmm. a team that could match skill and play heavy. Tampa did not add any heavy forwards at the trade deadline. That mm-hmm. was a clear team need. We said that. I'm sure a lot of people said that before the deadline, and they chose to ignore it, or maybe they tried to get it and struck out. Mm-hmm. We'll never know exactly what happened, but they didn't get that upgrade. They couldn't play the heavy game, and when Columbus started to get momentum, Tampa got frustrated. It just, when you're 
getting frustrated and Kucherov is the one dishing out the big shots. That's playing right into Columbus's hands. Oh, and yeah. another thing that's during that little trip to Tampa that stood out, I remember Ryan McDonough, I think he said to one of you guys, we have to stop taking penalties. Tampa, third most penalized team in the they, league. They, yeah. Yeah. Columbus yeah. converted yeah. 50% of power plays. So a few, a little bad habit that came back to bite them. And I think the fact that they did not address what was a clear need yeah. at the trade deadline. They had the best penalty killing in the league. I don't know when the last time this has happened. Is but I don't know when the last time it happened that the that a team had the best power play and the best penalty kill in the same year. Uh, but they had the best penalty kill in the league and they couldn't kill anything in the playoffs. Yeah. And now it's going to get very interesting for for Julian Breezeball because you're almost maxed out to the cap. You've got to sign Braden Point, who's earned what ten million dollars. Like he can ask for Jack Eichel money at this point, maybe more. I think he can. He's outscored. He's done far more than Jack yeah. Eichel's done in yeah. terms of accomplishments. Yeah. Uh, he scored more points. Like, he still wasn't the second overall pick, though, and I think right? that means something. Yeah. I, I think that means something. It's not I fair. But I don't. I don't think yeah. he gets Jack Eichel money. Maybe but, because but, of tax. Yeah. I'll give it to you because of the tax breaks. Okay, so eight point five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll say nine. I'll say nine or more. Yeah, yeah. But either way, we know he gonna get paid. Mm. And the Lightning are already really pressed up against the cap. And what they after got, like, blue four line, million. They, 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 yeah. and they have two. They have two defensemen under contract. That's right. Two defensemen under contract. So. Like, it's almost like this kind of forces them to do something. You know what I mean? True. Like, it for, it forces them to, to shake things up a little bit somehow mm. because we know somewhere, somehow, this team is not going to be able to be the iteration of what it was in 2018-19. Yeah. Right. Somewhere along the line. They're going to have to, they're going to have to, you know, somebody's going to have to go. Uh, they're going to have to, they're going to have to upgrade that defense and they're going to have to decide what they're going to do with Braden Point. Very you know? true. And, I mean, they have some players coming up. Um, you know, Mitchell Stevens, Alex barre Boulay. Yeah. You know, on the— Rookie of the year. And the, but more— yeah, On defense, like, Cal Foote. Yeah. But, yeah. you yeah. know, none of the—I mean, Cal Foote can play, you know, a bit of a physical game. Stevens isn't huge, but he's a pretty good two-way guy. barre Boulay is— He's a finesse guy, so and a small guy. Like, and a small how, like guy. how do you how do you reconcile that with yeah. what they just went through? What what Matt is talking about? Yeah, so and it doesn't with Mitchell Stevens, help. I mean, you've got you've already got that, and Anthony Sorelli, right? Like, you've got yeah. so. I, I think there's there's gonna have to be something of a new look, just but out of like yeah. out of necessity, totally. right? It's because it, because they can't they can't yeah. be the status quo. Yeah, they're they gonna have to get yeah. very creative because there's no there's no money. Like you'd say, oh, they should go sign. Furland is a free agent, or, or sign Eric Carlson is a free agent, but the money's not there. You'd like to move yeah. maybe a guy like Alex Kalorn. That's one of the least appealing contracts, JT Miller, but who's going to pay for that in a trade? I think you're going to have to compromise, and if I'm looking at a guy to move, I think it's Tyler Johnson, because yeah. He, yeah. He, he's made, yeah. he's become more of a left-winger now anyways. You have Braden Point as your number two center now, You have or Stamkos and Point as the 1-2, yeah, 1-A, yeah. one 1-B, one whatever you want to call them. So that makes Johnson relatively expendable. He had a really nice goal-scoring year. There are plenty of teams that need speed, and Johnson's going to bring speed. But I think mm-hmm. you need to find a way to, to clear some space, just even just to sign point mm-hmm. and to sign any defenseman, to have any defenseman under contract for next year. So it's going to be a pretty challenging summer for Julian Breesboy. It is. It's going to be, yeah. It's, Steve Eisenman was like, that was cool, but I'm going to take off now. <laughs> yeah, 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 he saw it coming. <laughs> yeah, That's right. Uh, so let's switch over to the Jets. The team that we picked to win it all, uh, but again, now in hindsight, I'm, I'm I'm thinking, did we just really want them to win it all to make us look? Yeah, good? we well, did. Yeah. Maybe because I yeah. remember the meeting. I remember the meeting. Uh, one of the guys got up and said, uh, "Do we still really? Do we still feel comfortable with the Jets as the Stanley Cup pick?" And I stood up and I said, "No, I don't yeah. feel comfortable at all mm-hmm. yeah. about them being there. I have no faith in Winnipeg." 
But then I said it's going to be Tampa. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see. I, I was in the Winnipeg camp strongly because I thought they had that blend like Washington of the heavy and the skill. But what I think I, I, I did wrong was underestimate St. Louis, the team that was, you know, dead last January 3rd, I believe. January 3rd. They were 31st yep. out of 31 teams. And they had a lot of momentum. They would have been 32 if there had been 32 teams in the league. Like, they, it was, they were bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think the Blues just, they never lost that momentum, really. And they just capitalized on mistakes. And the Jets, I mean, the Jets had leads. They were blowing leads. And just, they that, did some, yeah. for a team that, that is big and strong and talented, they have some holes, it seems. Defensively, some lapses. Yeah, and, yeah. And I think they have yep. some stuff to repair in the offseason there. But what do you guys think? I just think they weren't quite all there. And the fact that the Blues came into the playoffs, I believe they had won 8 of 10 going into the postseason. You know, I, I know you said earlier that momentum doesn't necessarily make a difference. Translate, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think in this series, it really did. Yeah, St. Yeah. Louis was on top of their game, they knew what their upside was. And to get those kind of performances, from that whole roster and a rookie goalie in Jordan Bennington who is still going. Um, I, I just think that the Jets had to be at their best. And they were they were pretty good at times, but they were never like one hundred percent Yeah, they were Winnipeg. Yeah, like and and like they like you said, Matt, like they made decisions and moves in their defensive zone that just that doesn't cut it in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, Jacob Truba not rimming it around the boards on, in in game in game five, and just trying to freeze it in there. Um, you know that that's a that's a that's a bad mistake. That's a really bad fatal mistake, right? I I just feel like the Jets. I, I th- I'm I'm gonna say it there. I think they're. I, I think looking in retrospect, they're overrated. They're overrated. I this mean, season they were yeah, for sure. and 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 they just like. Was there ever a point this season, and, and I there probably was, and you guys will bring it up, but where we're like, yeah, the Jets are friggin' firing on all cylinders now. They're going, they're moving. Mm-hmm. You know, it was always, yeah, okay, okay, they've won two in a row, and now we just lost four in a row. Yeah. Okay, okay. Like, I watched them at the end of the year. They went into, they were in Montreal, Ottawa, and Buffalo. They looked absolutely horrendous in Montreal. They looked a little bit better in Ottawa, and they were just okay in Buffalo. And I mm-hmm. thought, this is our Stanley Cup pick. These guys don't look like a team that's mm. going to win the Stanley Cup. But I think that's what they were all season long. Where right. And it's almost like, were they believing their own press clippings? Or was been, it just yeah. a matter of yeah. things weren't quite cohesive? Because it always seemed like, it's like, oh, well, the Jets will turn it on when it matters. They'll be ready. They'll be battle-tested because yeah, they yeah. can yeah. play meaningful games. But I think it's just they just never got into that top gear. Fair. And, and I wonder now. Has Jacob Truba played his final game? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's very possible, and there's so many teams that could use his exact skill set. In my opinion, I I don't think there's any doubt. He, um, you know, he's facing a a summer where he can, where one of the two sides can take the other to arbitration. I think he's worth a lot more on the trade market as a guy who can play a whole year in Florida or Tampa Bay, yeah, Tampa Bay, (laughs) or or wherever it is that he ends up going in the United States Uh, because he has no interest in playing in Canada, from what I've been told, uh, zero interest in playing in Canada. Um, So uh, yeah, I I think he's. I I tweeted that out right after the game. I think I think he's played his last game as a Winnipeg Jet. Yeah, I think they have to. They have to get something in return for him because yeah. he is such a good young asset still. Mm-hmm. But you got to make it work. And that's going to be one of the challenges for GM Kevin Chevaldeoff. Yep. Going to switch gears now to a little fantasy talk. We're still in Keeper League territory right now. And if your leagues are still, still allowing you to make some claims, 
I want to talk about finding the next Carter Hart or Jordan Bennington because we know goaltending is so fickle in fantasy. I never advise anyone to spend a really high pick on a goalie because the top fantasy goalie tends to be so fluid year to year. Uh, and you could have picked up Bennington. The guy, actually, the guy who won the league this year in my league, he picked up Jordan Bennington. That's a big reason why he won the league. Uh, so there are a few names that I want you to take a look at if you have the flexibility in your league to steal guys and stash them away for various reasons. Um, so one is Thatcher Demko. Demko is one that I'm sure you've heard of already. Even if you're a relatively casual fan, he's been one of the best prospects, goalie prospects in the game for a long time. And the writing's kind of on the wall. He got his taste of the NHL this year in Vancouver. Jacob Markstrom just has one year left on his deal. It's very clear there's a succession plan happening there. They sent Anders Nielsen away to give Demko some some room for a cup of coffee late this year. So it's only a matter of time before that net belongs to Demko. And so if you can keep him, if you can grab him and keep him, that's a team that has a lot of good young players and is going to be on the rise. And in two, three years, we could see the Canucks, I think, as a contender. So Demko is a guy to target. Another guy to target is the goalie that ranked highest in our future watch this year, Ukopeka Lukanen. And uh, he might not be ready for the NHL next year. The Buffalo still has Linus Allmark, Carter Hutton, and he's going to be, uh, uh, Lucan is probably going to get a taste of the AHL next year. But he's so good, and he's made, he's our most improved player in Future Watch. He jumped more than 80 spots in our rankings. Mm-hmm. Gold medal with the Finns. He's such a talented guy. Might be, that might be the MVP of the OHL this year. Very possibly. Yeah. And, and so he's, and it's not like Allmark and Hutton are an impregnable fortress to usurp. Right, it's possible that one of those guys could fall off, or whatever her injury, whatever. There could be a scenario in which Lukanen gets chances early as next year, uh, more likely the year after. But he's a guy to stash just because he has the biggest upside, I think, of any goalie prospect right now. The other interesting one is El- Elvis Elvis Merskelins, a guy that the Columbus Blue Jackets are very high on. He was playing in Europe, and he has a chance to. Get a, get a shot as a starter next year in the NHL. It feels strange because he's never even played AHL hockey, but Sergei Bobrovsky might be gone, and I know the organization is really high on this guy. Uh, he's got a lot of swagger to his game apparently too. So if Bob's gone, there's going to be a chance for someone to step in and replace him on that team. So he's someone to stash. And lastly, Mackenzie Blackwood. He's probably the safest pick because he got a lot of action this year, 918 save percentage. And Corey Schneider, he's had a very good career, but I think his days as, a, as an above-average starter are done. A lot of hip problems as well. So I wouldn't be surprised even if in October Blackwood is New Jersey's starter next didn't, year. Didn't Corey Schneider go a calendar year without winning a game or something? Yeah, I I, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. 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 He's had a good run and had some very good seasons <laughs> for the Devils. Unfortunately, sort of wasted seasons when they weren't a great team. Uh, but I'm pretty sure the crease is going to be Blackwood sooner rather than later. Let's go with some future watch, Ryan. A couple prospects. One guy that's been turning everyone's head lately, and I'll let you describe it. Yeah, Cole Caulfield from the United States National Team Development Program. Absolutely annihilating the field at the World Under-18s <laughs> right now in Sweden. Nine goals and 11 points in his first three games. Uh, he has been making some sweet, sweet magic with Jack Hughes. Uh, Caulfield, very undersized. Uh, I think he's probably listed at five foot six or so. And he's a child. Like <laughs> I'm not talking – he makes Johnny Gaudreau look like, I don't know, like a gray like, beard. <laughs> <laughs> like an old, old guy. Like Ernest yeah, Borgnine. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Goudreau could shove him into a locker. Yeah. Um, but Caulfield is just, he's unstoppable. Offensively, he's got an amazing release, got fantastic instincts. Uh, committed to the University of Wisconsin, where he'll play for Tony Granato, who has uh, brought in a lot of good prospects since he came uh, to Madison. So, you know, Ken and I have been talking about this a lot in recent days just because of draft preview. Like, how high do you put Cole Caulfield? Because, 
you know, the NHL tends to punish smaller players at the draft, and yeah. a lot of yeah. teams end up uh, regretting that. I talked to one uh, NHL exec the other day. He said, shame on you if you pass on Cole Caulfield because of his size. Right. So, you know, I mean, you, you look you look and you go like, okay, Dylan Cousins is six foot two and 200, you know, Kirby Datch or whatever, right? Yeah. But people made the same mistake with Alex Dabrinkit. They made the same mistake with Johnny Goudreau. Yep. And, you know, the, if you're going to scout with a tape measure now, then, you know, I mean, you do it at your own peril. Indeed. Because this guy, my goodness, I mean, how do you pass on him? And if you're at six or seven, how do you pass on this guy? Yeah, I mean, he has more than 60 goals. I'm not even sure what the latest is, but he had at least 66, 66 goals on the season. He's already established the NTDP record for goal scoring. And it's going to be a lot of fun on draft day to see where he goes. Has his voice changed? Because I'm picturing him, like, based, <laughs> based on his picture, like, I'm picturing him arguing a call, like, yeah, come yeah, on, man, scored. no, it's yeah. not fair. No way. Like, that's I get, what I picture his voice being. I get pucks deep, you know, yeah. 110%. <laughs> I actually don't know. I haven't, I haven't spoken to him. Yeah. Um, the other player to mention uh, already under NHL uh, contract is Ty Fellhaber from the Ottawa 67s of the OHL. Undrafted, but signed by the Dallas Stars this year. He was, um, you know, under consideration for a lot of teams. Very interesting story because, um, you know, he was originally drafted by Saginaw, and he's from the Ottawa area. So early on in his career, I think there was a lot of homesickness there. There were some conditioning issues. It just really didn't come together for him, uh, even though he was a very good minor midget player. Eventually, he gets traded to the 67s, starts getting some results, and this year he's been amazing, one of the top scorers in the OHL. He has 19 points in 11 playoff games for the 67s, and all those things that seemed to hold him back before are all gone. The conditioning's better. Obviously, the offense is there, and he's in a much more comfortable situation. And now it's a matter of, okay, well, is he the player that we saw you know, back in minor midget that had so much potential? Did Dallas just get kind of a free you know, late first round draft pick uh, when they signed him. So it's going to be really fun to see what he can do next year uh, in the pro ranks. Well, Kenny, time for a hot take. I know there was a hit in the Washington Carolina series you did not like. Let's hear it. Well, I, I just don't know in what universe that the that the Warren Fogle push from behind on TJ Oshie is not a suspension. Oh, yeah, this one. <laughs> yeah, this universe, this NHL. Yeah, I... I I'm sorry, guys. I don't get it. That's everything that okay. What? Well, I can. I can. I can. I can rule book you on this one. If like, I'm. I'm going to treat it as not a rhetorical question. I'm going to try to answer it. Okay. Honestly. Okay. But great. again, I'm only the messenger here. Okay. I'm just saying this is what I know from being pretty well versed right. in okay. the rule book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But but so to me, it's like, I mean, the kids put the stop signs on the back. Like this is a textbook. You know, ten feet from the boards, push from behind. Um, I mean, this is the hit that. I don't know. All you ever hear is, we don't want that hit in the game. You know, we don't want this in the game. I mean, really, like, not malicious. Not malicious. I mean, Warren Fogle? Yeah. Like, really? No. No. Reckless? Yeah. Really reckless. Really reckless. Really stupid. And without force, without any sort of forethought. And now, TJ Oshie's probably out. I mean, he just had his clavicle operated on. I can't imagine he's going to be back even if they go to the Stanley Cup final. Um, so anyways, okay, have at it there, big guy. Right. So I think you, you actually hit the nail on the head inadvertently when you said 10 feet from the boards. And that's where the slope gets slippery because you're that far away from the play. Sometimes it's treated not as boarding but almost as a hit that unfortunately 
unfortunately results in a player sliding toward the boards, and it's something that they call in player safety losing the physical battle. So if you look at the play, you see Oshi leaning back a little bit, and you see the snow in his skates. He's resisting, and sometimes it creates the friction that then launches a player forward when they're both battling for the puck. Because it's not like... You didn't see Fogel with two hands out being, doing this big monster cross-check. It was like they were battling, and then his he follows through a little bit, like with a short little cross-check, and then Oshi almost has, like, he flies several feet before he even hits the boards, right? Okay. So and it's like, where where do you draw the line? 10 feet, then what, what about 12 feet? What if a guy gets hit at 15 feet, and then he slides and hits the boards? So, I, again, I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm saying that is how... I, I think it's policed right now. Okay, so then using that logic, use, using that logic, it should not have even been a two-minute boarding penalty, which it was. Right. Which it was. It was a two-minute boarding penalty. But using that logic, and I'm not saying, again, you're not yeah. saying that you agree with it or whatever, mm. but using that logic, it should not have been called I think at you all. Can, it you should can make not a case. have been yes. even a minor penalty. So, so I rewatched it today, and what struck me was, oh, it was actually pretty far away. That's what I thought because that's yeah. that. If you look at the plays that are boarding that often don't get suspended, it's often that situation where the guy's so far away. It's almost like it was a hit in open ice that eventually resulted in crashing to the boards, as opposed to driving a guy mm-hmm. into the boards. And yeah, close yeah. Enough it's to not. Like, it's not touching. It's not boarding in the. Yeah. You know, maybe they should come up with a new penalty for it, pushing from behind or something. Yes. I don't yeah. know. You know, or whatever, but. I mean, that's got to be, like, to me, that's got to be a penalty. It's right. got to be, it's got to, I'm sorry, it's got to be a suspension. Well, and it's the rule book. And I think that there's a big misconception whenever I'm sort of trying to sort of defend no, player I, safety. I but yeah. what I'm always yeah. doing is just explaining the rule book. And if it's not in the rule book, you can't enforce what's not in there. So it right. goes back, the example I always use, Matt Cook 2010, Rule 48 had to be created it didn't after exist. the fact. Yeah, it didn't exist. And yeah. then you could yeah. suspend headshots, yeah. right? So yeah. I do think it's worth reevaluating just what constitutes a hit from behind. Okay, fair enough. Time for a couple mailbag questions. We're going to start with Ernie Morris. And Ernie asks, should, should CBJ, Columbus Blue Jackets, now be considered favorites after their sweep of the historic lightning? It's a totally fair question to ask. Uh, and I'm personally, uh, whether Boston or Toronto wins Game 7, I, I'm going to pick Columbus to beat the winner of that series. Oh, so we know who's going to win now. Yeah. What? Whoever whoever wins Boston. <laughs> yeah. Boston yeah, that means Columbus is going to get swept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Columbus is going to get swept in round yeah. two. Uh, but I, I don't want to say cup favorites because I personally still think that Washington is a souped-up version of Columbus, the way their team is built. Yeah. Uh, but I, I certainly think we have to take Columbus very seriously now. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I, I wonder if the Columbus Blue Jackets are not the 2019 version of the 2012 Los Angeles Kings. Mm. I wonder if we're not seeing that kind of thing here. I mean, the Kings didn't make all those crazy moves at the deadline, but that was a team, a big, heavy team that just got in and then they just demolished everybody, right? Um, I wonder if we're not seeing a, you know, a redux of that to LA Kings 2.0. Yeah, well, the thing about Columbus is that they've answered all the questions that we've had. It's like, can Sergei Bobrovsky be the better goaltender in a series? Yes, yes, he can. Is Artemi Panarin engaged? Yes, yes, he is. What can Matthew Shane do in the playoffs? A lot, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Scott Harrington had three points in the first four games against Tampa Bay. Like, that defense score, Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski have been fantastic, but they're not the only ones. Like, that team is clicking on all cylinders, and it makes a lot of matchup problems. And the fact that they're getting all this rest now, maybe it's not the best thing in the world because when you come off sweeping the best team in the league, you probably just want to get right back at it and right. keep going. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. you know, whoever they play in the next round, I don't think it's going to be a sweep. I think, like, Columbus could drop the first game just because they're like, 
Oh, hockey! I remember how to yeah. play that. <laughs> That's a long layoff. Man. It's it a really long is, layoff. Really but is. after that, yeah. it's like, man, like, what else do you want? I think. I mean, the Islanders are looking pretty scary now too. Yeah, yeah. But if it was a Columbus Islanders conference final, I think I would probably take Columbus in seven. <laughs> said no one yeah, like, this time last what? year. Said no one ever. <laughs> that has literally never been a sentence. Did you guys? <laughs> yeah. True. Did you guys watch Tortorella's speech before the first game? I heard it was pretty hardcore. I wanted to jump through the TV myself. <laughs> like it was unbelievable. It was and I don't, I don't know. I don't know if like I mean that maybe gets you through a first period of game one. I don't know, but it was incredible it was incredible i like i wanted to go and play yeah yeah and that's the thing too is like tortorella's been there before he's won a title yeah he's had he's seen the ups and downs he's been in a bunch of different markets with yeah. different levels of pressure for him at this point it's like oh no, i've seen the situation yep i know how to deal with this next question is from an old favorite quichi quichi's back quichi asks questions from time to time yeah uh quichi asks what went wrong with calgary goaltending was surprisingly good it's true it, it, yeah. the, the mike smith did step up as as best he could uh, but it was still a nightmare for the flames so what do you guys think happened there i think that nathan mckinnon miko rantanen and uh, gabriel landiscog not only were better than johnny goodrow uh, Elias Lindholm and Sean Monahan, they took them to the woodshed. Mm-hmm. They took them to the woodshed. They were their best players were light years better than Calgary's best players. Uh, and to me, that was that was the biggest difference Ooh, in the series. Is took them to the woodshed? Is that an old Yeller reference? Like, is that it's, like, it's like you get a beating when you go into the woodshed. Yeah. You get it's they, behind they, the woodshed. Is that oh, where they kill the woodshed? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. all this time, like I just realized right now, I used to always think wood chipper. I thought of like Steve Buscemi getting fed by the wood chipper by Peter Stormer in Fargo. But I realized no woodshed. No, it's the this woodshed. Is a shed, but is yeah. that where it's they where, kill? It's where, no, no. They it's killed where, old Yeller there. No, I think it's where Dad would take you out to give you a oh, good okay. beating on your. I see. Behind. I switch. Yeah, I'm taking you to the woodshed. Yeah. I see. Fair enough. That's what they did. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> also, James Neal was a healthy scratch. Who my yeah. Calgary? Like when yeah. you make a signing like that, and you need that depth in scoring. Because I mean, Colorado doesn't have a ton of depth. I mean, that's not surprising. Yeah. They do have one of the best lines in all of hockey. But if you can't, if you can't nullify that line, then you you at least need to roll some scoring. And Calgary could not do that. They just they couldn't they couldn't keep up. And you know they, they, could, they could not. You're right. They could not. Yeah. And it's been a weird recurring theme. And it's funny. I, I've always been a guy who leans more toward the skill side than the like rough, tough hockey side. Um, not that I don't enjoy it. Like, hello, Eunice Donskoy hit by Brain McNabb. Oh, baby. But I, I think we're seeing uh, in this this year's playoffs in particular, um, the refs really putting the whistles away. And I think the teams. Uh, that don't have any sandpaper are really getting punished. And I think Johnny Gaudreau is a guy who's really blossomed in the regular season because the slashing crackdown was almost the Johnny Gaudreau rule. The 21-slash salute, I call it, where he broke his finger a couple years back. And they opened up the game, and the little guys start dominating. But I think you're seeing it with Mitch Marner in the playoffs as well. He's been pretty invisible the last several games, and I think the games get so physical in the playoffs that the smaller guys sometimes get muscled out. And I think that happened to Johnny Gaudreau in this series, Mm -hmm. even though he's a phenomenal player. But it just shows that the Flames are a team kind of like Tampa Bay where – 
they were pretty low on toughness. And I'm not one to, to trumpet truculence and say you need to have this big, tough team. But I do think it helps to have a couple guys that can play heavy just mixed in. Uh, and I think maybe the fact that James Neal didn't pan out, that really hurt Calgary because he was supposed oh, to be God. the heavy guy. It, it was yeah. horrible. And, and, I mean, they got him because... He was this guy that had been on all these long playoff runs with his previous teams. That was why they got him. And at the end of the year, it was almost like, okay, look, James, don't worry. We know we're paying you $5 million a year. Just sit over there. This year. And for four more. And uh, But it's okay. I don't care. Don't even score a goal the rest of the season if you don't want to. But, you know, when we drop the game, when we drop the puck in game one, you know, we kind of want you to be there. We kind of want you to kind of, you know, be tugging at the same end of the rope as we are. Yeah, Enjoy him, Seattle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, well, we'll end it on the Seattle note. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, everyone, we are now on Spotify. Spotify.